Okay, y'all, so we're studying uh, the life of Elijah, the wonderful life. I've said it many times. He's one of my spiritual heroes. I like, I like people that are, that are strong. I like people that are single-minded and, and don't waver for the most part. They take a stand like a Daniel, you know, like the three Hebrew, Hebrew boys. And maybe not a whole lot of fluff around them, but a real strong stance for the Lord. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. Uh, so turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll read some of the opening scriptures. We got started on this thought. We're going to try to finish this thought tonight, which we began last week. Uh, chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel, that's his, his wife, the queen, they're both idolaters, and she was the, the head of all that idolatry in Israel at this time. And he, all that Elijah had done with all, that's when he called the fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. They weren't God's prophets. These were the false prophets of Baal and the groves. Then Jezebel sent a message unto Elijah, saying, So do the, let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So it's a death threat from a high power, a queen, okay? And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. It's not really what we would have expected from this man who stood before a whole nation and 850 false prophets and a king and all the people halting between two opinions by himself. And he says, Lord, let these people know that I'm doing all this at your word and your will. I'm your servant. And fire comes down from heaven. The 850 false priests are killed. And now he gets a death threat from a woman and he flees. Okay, it's not, again, it's not what we would have expected, but he's a human being, all right? We would expect him to be a human being. It says in James 5, he, Elijah was a man of like passions as we are, all right? So that keeps us from putting any man, even the best of men, and Elijah, uh, it keeps us from putting anybody on a pedestal that would equate them with Christ, because there's none, okay? There's none. And he stands alone, like we're talking about on Sunday mornings in our series. So he flees for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself. So it's just him and nobody other than the Lord, okay? He requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. So he's, we talked about some of the causes of this, and I don't want to retrace too much, but the man was spent. He was, it's not an excuse, it's just uh, these things would have led to this fleeing. We talked about he had probably been up for more than 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, okay, he, he, all this had happened, you know, call, uh, calling the, down the fire from heaven in front of the congregation of Israel, kill, having the priests killed, praying on the mountain top for rain seven times, the big rain coming. He girds up his loins and runs 18 to 20 miles from Carmel to Jezreel before Ahab's chariot because the, the rain's coming. And that night when Ahab gets home, his wife, he tells his wife all that Elijah had done. The death threat goes out. He takes his servant and flees. He goes uh, to Beersheba, leaves his servant, and he himself goes a day's journey really south into the desert, okay? And he, he's worn out. 
we don't know that he's eaten anything. We certainly don't know if he's had anything to drink. We know physically he's tired. And we do have emotions. We're human beings. He was emotionally spent. This was all very intense. Everything that was happening was intense. Three and a half years of waiting for that moment to, for, the, you know, for God to send the rain and to, to turn the hearts of the people and to call down fire. All that happened, and now he's, he's fled for his life. So we talked about, just as a quick recap, a warning to us, be careful when you're extra tired. You're Christians, you're believers, your life is hid with Christ in God. But we, we can be tempted and be more susceptible to fall into temptation when we're very tired. Physically spent, emotionally spent, we've been grinding, 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 maybe physically, maybe counseling somebody real intensely, you know, something like that. Uh, we need to be recharged. We need to be refilled. We need to retreat, not go on a retreat necessarily. We need to retreat to the Lord and go sit before the Lord and rest and commune with God and be filled with His Spirit and to feast on Christ and feast on His Word. Those, those are important. They're not little luxuries. They're necessities, okay? They're, it's not a luxury. And so, anyway, here's this man. He, he, he goes and he wants to die. And so, what, uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, and it's a wonderful thing to talk about, is how kindly and compassionately and tenderly Almighty God dealt with his servant. You know, William and I were talking on the phone uh, yesterday and he's a youth minister over in Texas, and his birthday's today. We, we're just chatting on the phone, and he's actually going to be preaching a men's retreat Saturday and his, in his church Sunday. And I was asking what he was preaching about, and we got to talking. and he's talking about how God uh, was merciful and kind of sought to restore Peter after Peter denied the Lord three times. And I said, well, I said, you know, it's kind of like what I'm looking at with Elijah and we were talking about, he said something, you know, God knows when we need a kick in the rear end, and he knows when we need a hug. <laughs> he knows when we need a bottle of water and a loaf of bread to eat. He knows. And he's justified in either one, and sometimes he does either one. He knows what's needed in, in both. He's being loving. So don't forget that. He's just as loving in both, but he knows what's needed. He knows what will be effective. And uh, plenty of times we see God uh, dealing sternly with his children. In the Bible, we've had st stern dealings of the Lord in our own hearts and lives. But he knows that this man right here, what he needed was some nutrition and some rest. And you know, he, di he didn't excuse his sin. He didn't condone his sin. But he came in, and we're going to look at four ways in that the Lord was so... Uh, Tender, I guess, is the best way I can say it. And, and to understand that God's whole plan in everything, it would be the same for you and me, okay, when we've fallen into a sin. So I, I, think, I think Elijah sinned. Um, you can say it's the worst sin or not the worst sin. We won't really put a label on it, but I think he sinned in fleeing from Jezebel. Uh, those 850 prophets had been killed, and there was a need for a national revival, and Elijah could have been used to be part of that, to, to stand strong. Okay, so I don't want to deal with it too much, but I think it, he, was, he failed at this moment. Okay, he failed at this moment, and he fled. And God comes to him and deals with him, and his whole thought in God's mind is, I want him restored. 
I want him restored. And the prodigal son sinned. In the story of the prodigal son in Luke, he sinned. He was ungrateful. He was unthankful. He was carnal. He was selfish. He was all of those things. He was unrespectful to his father. He took his money that would have been his inheritance, and he fled and went and spent it all in sinful living. He comes back with his tail between his legs, so to speak, but he was truly humbled. Only thought in the, in the father's eyes was, I want him to come home. That's it. That's it. And when he saw him a long way off before he knew any of the things that God had dealt with him about in the pig pen, he went running out there. He was looking for him. He wanted him to be restored. There's something we need to know about God. He didn't click this. God didn't click and suddenly become this compassionate God in the New Testament. He's always been. Okay? He's always been. We're going to see how he deals with this man, Elijah. And so uh, he, he comes to him. Let, let's keep reading. All right? He went a day's journey. He requested that he might die. In verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. Well, that angel is a messenger of God. God sent the angel. He didn't go on his own, okay? And said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. He's exhausted. He eats and drinks. He goes back to sleep. The Lord's not rebuking him for this. The Lord's not reprimanding him about you fled from a woman and all this kind of. He didn't. He knew what his servant needed. Just keep that in mind. And he fed him. He gave him water. He went back to sleep again. And the angel of the Lord came unto him the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. I love that. I love it because when he says the journey is too great for me, that means he's going somewhere. He's not done with him. He's not going to die under a juniper tree, is he? He requested of himself, of the Lord, that he might die. And he felt like he wanted to die. But God dealt with him, and he dealt with him in compassion, and he let him know, no, there's more for you. Okay? There's more for you. The journey's too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto, Mount, unto Horeb, the Mount of God. Okay, and so uh, something to know when 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 Elijah was fleeing, okay, he leaves his servant and he just keeps going, keeps going out in the desert by himself, uh, day's journey, and then he can't go any further probably and just falls up under this tree, wanting to die. It's important to know when we're talking about the love of God that the Lord did not love him any less. He's like following him in every step of the way. Every step into the desert, every step fleeing when he should have stood. The Lord's with him. He's following him. His eyes are upon his servant. His eyes are upon his child, okay? He didn't love him any less when he failed and fled. He didn't love him any less than when he called down fire from heaven. We need to remember that. He didn't love him any less. He didn't, it's not condoning his sin, but to, uh, the love of God, and one of the things we're talking about is that his love is constant. His love is constant. Man's love is anything but. When you're loving me and things are going right and you're giving to me and doing for me and acting lovable, you know, for the most part, okay? Now, the Lord changes that in a believer's heart. But the, the world, you know, I love you back. 
we love those. Jesus even said we, lo- we love those that love us. The world does that, he says. But I'm telling you to love your enemies, right? Here's God, and he loved his servant. And there might be somebody here tonight, so I'm just going to get right to this. There might be somebody here tonight, and you have fallen. You have fallen in sin. You have fallen uh, in your, and hurt your testimony. You might have been somebody that, uh, that taught others the word of God. That you counseled others, you, you discipled others, and maybe you've fallen and, and you feel that all hope has been taken away. You feel you're in a place of despair. Now, I'm not trying to make you in that if you're not, okay? And this is not a pity party. But you may be in that circumstance or situation where you have fallen into some sin and done damage to your testimony and brought shame to the Lord, and you're ashamed. And you're ashamed. And you look back on happier days and, you know, and you think it'll never be like that again because I have messed up royally. But God loves us. Man, man may forsake us. Men may forsake us. We may uh, forsake others. But God's never forgotten or forsaken you. And he desires for you to be restored. David said in Psalm 23, which we hear all the time, one of the lines, he restoreth my soul. Well, in order to be restored, he had to be away. Something had to be estranged. Something had to be uh, not right for God to bring that soul of that man and restore it back unto himself. That is always, always, always God's will and purpose. Whether he deals with us with a kick in the rear end or whether he deals with us bringing us food and water and saying, get some rest. Either way. His desire is to restore our souls and for us to be restored. He's always working to that end. Don't think he's not, okay? And so uh, he can restore the years that the, that the uh, you know, the canker worm is eaten like the Bible talks about. And he can do that. And so don't be hopeless and don't be in despair. There's a scripture I, go, I think about a lot in Malachi. I think Malachi chapter 3, but I'm not sure where he says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, the reason I haven't consumed you, Israelites, is because I'm the Lord and I change not. He's compassionate. We talked about it a few weeks ago in in church. Uh, This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, right? His compassions, that's love, right? They fail not. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. And so we need to hope. And it's easy to believe that the love of God for us when, when everything's going great, you know, when we're witnessing to somebody or we're in church with the other believers like we are now and we're singing uh, there's power, power in that wonderful name of Jesus. It's easy to believe the love of the Lord for us at a moment like that. It's hard for us to believe when, when we've been committed some sin and we're downcast in our sin. We, we, we might actually wonder if God loves us still. But that doesn't need to be a thought in our minds. Do we need to be forgiven? Yes. Do we need to come out of the sin? Yes. Do we need to repent? Yes. Do we need to confess it to God and be restored? Yes. All, yes to all of that. But the... The love of God didn't change in any of that scenario. You're teaching others, you're witnessing, you're on, 
you're walking so closely with the Lord that you feel like you can see him and touch him and hear his voice. And then maybe you commit some sin and you say, well, I don't discern the love of God now, but it's there. It's there. And the love of God is the goodness of God that carries you to repentance. That's what the scriptures say. When it says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, that word lead means to carry. He picks you up, picks up the sinner, and he carries us where? To a very important place, repentance. The foot of the cross, the foot of Jesus. That's not just confessing. It includes confession. Repentance is a turning from, okay? We turn from our sin and we turn to God. It's not difficult to believe that God loved Elijah when he's calling down fire from heaven. He's the only one, and he's standing by himself and saying, I'm God's servant, and fire comes down. Elijah could probably think the Lord really loves me right now, which he did. It's a lot harder when he's fleeing for, from his, for his life from a woman when he should have stood, and he's stranded in the middle of the desert wanting to die. It's not difficult for Peter, for example, in the Bible to believe the Lord loves him when he's standing on the Mount of Transfiguration and the Lord allows that man to see what only two other men, men on the planet got to see. On the Lord transfigured before them and Moses and Elijah there with them on the Mount of Transfiguration. The whole history of the world, he was one of the three that got to see that. The Lord really loves me. How about when he's den denying the Lord three times? When he swore he would not. If all the others around here deny you, I will not. And that very night he denied the Lord three times. In the dark, hiding out with carnal, sinful people, scared. And he looks up on the last time, and I, I can only imagine what that was like. And he catches, the Lord catches his eyes. They catch each other's eyes. The last time he bowed with an oath and cursed. I told you I don't know the man. <laughs> He looks up and he sees the Lord. He failed. He was no less loved at that moment as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration or when he walked on water. No less loved by the Lord. And God's whole desire was to restore him to himself. You and I need to learn that. And we need to learn it and believe it. We need to believe the love that God has for us. We're not just talking about some love that excuses sin, because he do, uh, certainly does not do that. We're not talking about a love that condones sin. We're not talking about a love that uh, is permissive and allows us to bend and break the rules. We're talking about a love that comes after the sinner and picks him up when we can't pick ourselves up and carries us to repentance. We need to learn and believe the cons constancy, I guess would be the word, of the Lord's love. We may think that what God's done with us. We may think I have no right to claim the love of God because of what I just sit, did or said or thought and how I failed the Lord. You know, it wasn't just a, uh, maybe last Sunday, it wasn't long ago. I remember waking up early morning, coming to church, and there was a real thick fog. I come up here real early. And, you know, the sun's still shining, though. You just can't see it, right? The, sun, the sun's shining it's just as bright up there. It hasn't lost any of its, its power. And then soon enough, the, the sun's going to burn off the mist and the clouds and the fogs, and you're going to see the sun. It's kind of like the love of the Lord. We, we shroud it in a cloud, and we think 
God's abandoned me. He doesn't love me anymore. And I'm not worthy of his love anymore. And we're, we're never worthy. It's just the love of God. But God loves us still. Amen? And God wants us to hope and believe still. And hope and believe in his love. I don't know that we talk about the love of the Lord as much as we should. But <clears throat> God still loves us. Amen? And we need to believe him to love us and in his love to restore us to himself. David said in the Psalms, why art, thou, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself, good counsel to himself. Why are you cast down? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. That's his counsel to himself. I will yet trust him. Even still, whatever he's going through, no matter how downcast I am in my soul, I'm, in, I'm counseling myself to hope in God, for I will yet uh, hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him who is the health uh, of my countenance. Amen? He's the health of my countenance. In other words, he's the one that makes my face to, to shine and glow with the joy of the Lord. Amen? So the constancy of God's love, that it's ongoing. I've loved thee with an everlasting love, he told the Israelites. Okay? He loves us the same way. The next characteristic of the love of God that this man experienced in the desert and under the juniper tree when he failed the Lord was, uh, I guess you would say, a special tenderness, a special tenderness that God showed because of there was a special sin or a special need. It kind of goes with the others, but as I said, God knew what was needed for this. Every time that... Uh, during the life of Elijah, as far as we know, when he was by the brook Cherith, what did he do? He drank water, natural, regular water from the brook until it dried up. How did he eat? Well, ravens brought him food, okay? Meat in the morning and meat in the evening. But as far as we know, probably he never had angels prepare food for him. This is special. I know it's kind of, uh, you might think it's kind of minor, but to me, I see the God knew what was needed, and he did something special because the man was in a special bad place, a special point of weakness, a special failure, and God came to him. And so he, uh, God sends an angel and bakes him bread and sends him bread and brings water. And again, it's not because God took special, some kind of joy or pleasure in the man's sin. He most certainly did not. We're going to read more in the weeks ahead. But... He knew that this, this is what would needed to bring, to minister to his servant, to meet him where he was, okay? So there was something special. And when ordinary methods don't work, or God doesn't see that in his wisdom to use ordinary measures, he'll do extraordinary measures. It didn't do for Joe Blow down the street to come tell Joseph, go ahead and take Mary for your wife. You know, everything's going to be okay. She's going to have a, a child who's going to be the son of God and so forth. God sent an angel, Gabriel, right? And God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Mary. God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Zacharias to tell him he, he and his wife, Elizabeth, were going to have a son, John the Baptist. Special means or measures for special uh, moments. And, you know, when, when we talked about Peter and his failure, when he denied the Lord, and then we see later, the Lord rose again from the dead. We know on Easter morning, what we celebrate is Easter morning, on resurrection morning. The Lord said, 
uh, I think to Mary, you go tell, tell, his, tell my disciples and Peter that I'm going before them to Galilee. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, tell my disciples. But maybe at this point, I'm, I don't want to suppose too much, so I'm not saying this is gospel. Maybe Peter didn't feel that he was worthy to be classed with the disciples at this time. We know that he said, I'm going back fishing, you know, later after the resurrection. Not that he didn't love the Lord, but he probably thought whatever hope he had in his service and ministry to God was behind him. It's gone. And the, the Lord on the resurrection morning says, you tell his disciples, tell my disciples and Peter that I'm going before them and I'll meet them in Galilee. And so God knows what's needed. So sometimes he'll do special things for us. You've had special prayers answered where it was in a, such a specific, exact way as you prayed. You could have never, it, God did that for you to show you his way, to show you his love for you, to show you that that was him. He'll go out of his way to show his love. Amen? He'll go out of his way to show his love. Where the father in, in the parable of the prodigal son, he went out of his way, right? Kill the fatted calf. Be merry, be joyful. Because my son was, was away and he's lost and he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. He hates our sin. But he longs over us and yearns over us to come back to him and to return to him. He wants to soften our hearts. He wants to strengthen our hearts and bring us back to him. While we're grieving, while we're in our sin... He is longing for us and coming after us. He came to this earth to seek and save the lost. How much more one of his sheep that has gone astray, that is one of his, and we've gone astray. He's coming after us. Allah would say, and what the Lord would say, yield, come, respond. You know what I mean? Turn to the Lord. Come to him. Next thing we're going to mention just quickly about the Lord's love, his God's love, and that this man experienced during this time. And that was, it was how God cared for him. And this, this would be grouped with the others, but he, his love doesn't fail. He doesn't faint. Love, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't grow weary, never tires, it fainteth not, Right? doesn't fail, it doesn't become discouraged. Well, who loves like that? God does. That's the love of God. That's a description and so uh, of the Lord. And it comes only from the Lord. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And it clings on with divine bulldoggedness, tenacity. God's, you're praying for a lost one, lost loved one to be saved. You know that God wants them to be saved more than you want them to be saved. He loves them more than you love them. Now, he can give us his love that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. But don't think you love them more than he does or that you want them to be saved more than he does. He loves them. He's going after them. Keep praying that he goes after them and pray that their hearts will be softened and respond. But he's not letting up. He doesn't just throw his hands up in the air. 
He's reaching out, reaching out and trying to bring that sinner to himself. And he's trying to bring us to himself. And he wants us to bring, bring us back to a life that honors him and glorifies him. He still loved his man Elijah under the juniper tree when he was requesting of himself that he might die. But that life wasn't glorifying to the Lord. Amen. He wanted to bring him to a life that glorified the Lord. Same for you. If you're in some type of sin or falling into some type of sin or cold-heartedness or strayed from the Lord, you've broken off communion with the Lord, you're not having a prayer time with the Lord like you used to have, don't think that that's a little thing. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm saying you're going to suffer your intimacy with the Lord. If you're not having that like you used to, you need to go back. You need to get with the Lord. You need to fast and pray and turn to the Lord, retreat unto the Lord, and insist that that be restored in your life. Insist upon it, okay? And don't, don't let go. But God's love's coming after you. And the last thing we're talking about is God's love, because he's God and he's Alpha and Omega, and he's, he's seen tomorrow, okay? He, he, his love anticipated what the man would need. Again, we talk about it, and all, you can clump, clump all these together, group all these together. But uh, when he came to him and fed him, he could have just fed him and given him some water by the hand of the angel. But he, he says, get some sleep. Then he tapped, the angel taps him the second time and says, rise, eat, and drink, because the journey is too great for you. There was an anticipation of needing strength for that journey. And love made sure that that was met, okay? The love of God made sure that was met. The man might not have realized his need, but the Lord knew. God still had very specific things for the man to do. He had no clue. This was not in, in his thoughts at all. His thoughts are, I want to die, okay? I'm, my thoughts, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I want to die. And God said, no, he, he knew what was needed. He knew how he was going to use this man still, and so the love of God, you know, pitied him and provided for him. Amen. Provide, he knows that we're dust. We read it last week. He pities us as a father pities his children. He remembers our frame that we're dust. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he doesn't just expect out of us more? <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he knows our frames are dust. He has to be our strength. And we need it by faith for him to be our strength. And to rely upon him to do that. But he came and provided. Arise, eat, and, and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And so uh, it left his, he had fled before, you know, the face of Jezebel. But God still had plans for him. And God's going to speak to him. And we're going to pick up this more next week. Look at verse 9. And he came there unto a cave. This is at Mount Horeb, and lodged there. He went 40 days, okay, and 40 nights in the strength of that meal. That was a supernatural meal, okay? But he went 40 days. This is, just imagine traveling on foot 40 days and 40 nights, and he went in the strength of that meat that was provided for him. And he came there unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. Now God's really speaking to him. Personally, before it was an angel and the provisions were there and the tender compassion and the love. Now God's going to deal with them. What doest thou here, Elijah? Okay, 
What did the Lord do? What do we see in wrath? He remembered mercy. He was compassionate. He was tender. Okay? And he came to him and dealt with him. Again, he didn't upbraid him, but he did deal with him. We're going to talk about that more next week. All I can say is as the Lord is, is dealing with us, we need to, in, in compassion and mercy, we need to realize the love that God has for us and realize his purpose is to restore me. You might have sinned today. You might have hurt your testimony today. Maybe nobody knows about it but you and the Lord, and you're close to wanting to give up because this is the same sin you've prayed about 10,000 times before. God loves you still. His plan is to restore you. Allow him to do it. Allow him to work in your life. They that wait upon the Lord, do you can come, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. That was the strength that God gave his man. He didn't upbraid him. He didn't say, I'm done with you. He didn't say, we're just going to reap what you sow right here. He came to him in compassion and mercy. He understood that his frame was dust. He didn't excuse it. He's going to deal with him about it, okay? But he still helped him. And I thank God for that. It's the Lord we serve. That's not the God of other religions, by the way. You don't see that. Okay, it's not the God of other religions. It's the God, the one true living God. Amen. That loves us and has compassion for us. Y'all stand.